Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think of a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where it's 2021. We made it. We made it through 2020s. Like we did. I don't know. It was, yeah. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little touch and go there for a second, it's, but we got it's through it. Been, yeah, it has been a year. Or <laughs> uh, I am what Lauren a Humphreys- decade we had last year. It so was. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hi, Karen. Hello. And how is your Christmas slash New Year's slash holiday celebrations in this COVID nineteen world? I'm going to be honest. Obviously, I wish that we were living in a world without COVID, and I wish that we had more than 0% capacity in our ICU beds here in California. But um, that being said, I didn't mind the, like, trying to think now. (laughs) What are words? Um, I did not mind having a calmer, quieter holiday this year. Mm -hmm. And just I mean obviously I wish it was by choice but just not having the normal hustle and bustle it made it nice to just sit with my family yes I was with my family on Christmas and on New Year's Eve but it was nice to just be able to sit and enjoy each other's company we didn't feel all stressed and overwhelmed because it it was honestly for us it was just a really relaxing season and uh Obviously, I wish that we could bring back the 350,000 people that have been lost and the millions who've been sick. Um, And I would definitely trade them back for, you know, a relaxing season. But it was kind of one of those things where it's like, well, you make the best of it. And so it was, yeah, for us, it was a nice Christmas. How about you? Yeah, same here. I mean, usually now I'm, I'm an only child and usually I, I spend Christmas with my parents anyway. So it's just me and them, um, which is what it was this year. So it wasn't that big of a difference, really, uh, in a lot of ways, except that there was that more. Actually, the biggest difference was that my both sides of my family suddenly decided this is these are two sides of the family that never spend Christmas together. We're just <laughs> like, you know what we should do? We should have big family Zoom. And it's like we don't do we don't do this this isn't something that we do what are you talking about we're never all together on christmas (laughs) um but i mean it was nice and it was actually i've I've said to some of my friends that um i've talked with more people during this pandemic that i would never have spoken with on a regular basis um in like a normal time like i like i i have a, a weekly phone call with or weekly zoom call with um some of my best friends from high school people that I've known forever and we usually will have like a Christmas party because everybody's back upstate when uh during Christmas and things like that we'll spend New Year's together something like that but generally we're not going to have like extensive conversations every week in a normal year and we have this year so that's been yeah obviously this is not the 
best situation and we don't want to be in this situation but there are some good things i think personally for some of us that that have come out of it yeah it's one of those things where it's like sometimes you just have to make the best of a bad situation and i feel like i've been able to do that this year too it's been nice to be able to kind of uh cut out some of the people well not people but yeah some of the people um that i was kind of by proximity spending a lot of time around and not having to have those interactions but also being much more intentional with the people that i do talk to on a regular basis and i feel like in a weird way not being able to see some people has strengthened bonds and strengthened friendships a little bit more than than we could have just seeing each other periodically yeah like you're like you're saying so it's been it's been a very interesting experience i think for me coming out of this and going into 2021 we were kind of joking about this a little bit before we started but um i feel like yeah i've really just been going into this year with like just I don't give a fuck about things you know it's like I'm just gonna do what I feel like is really important what matters to me obviously what matters to me is people I hope that's obvious I don't know um and so it's not like I'm just gonna be this really selfish monster now but I'm going to be a lot more intentional in how I interact with people and just not putting up with a bunch of bullshit that i just don't need to put up with anymore i'm just gonna spend the time around the people that i care about and do the things that make us happy yeah yeah i think that that's important you know you got to strike that balance between calling out the bullshit and also just being like okay you're like beneath my time really yep. like i really shouldn't waste my time with you which is always difficult particularly being women on the internet as we know <laughs> yes um so it's just sort of like do i spend all of this time or do i just call you a fucking moron and move on um <laughs> exactly how important is this? Uh, well, Will this really so, change anything if I engage in this conversation? Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although, so, and this is going to lead very nicely, I think, into our discussion today. <laughs> what a great segue. One of the issues that I always run into in in particularly, and, and a lot of what we're talking about is, is engaging on Twitter, although I don't engage on Facebook that much anymore. Uh, I don't know if you do, but so like, that's not where I have my film debates. I have my film debates on Twitter. No, I have my political um, debates on Facebook with my family. Oh, God bless you. Like, <laughs> um, uh, I've sucked even, that now that the election's over. So. Not even, oh, my God. <laughs> um, is it, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, so, yeah, film debates generally take place on Twitter. And film Twitter is, as we all know, a terrible, terrible place. It's amazing uh, how bad it is. And and there's some and the thing is there's some really smart people and people that I really respect and people that I think are great critics and very like even when I don't agree with them, I'm like, yes, you make good points and you present your points well and you're not like mind-bogglingly furious that other people don't agree with you all the time, etc. But there is always that moment where it's like, okay, is this something that I need to disagree with? Is this something that is doing some kind of damage. And one of the things that I always, I often run into, particularly in arguing with men, let's be honest here, um, is that you get men who are expressing, they're expressing their own personal opinion, but they're also expressing sexism and misogyny. And so it's a problem that is broader in some ways than like the individual guy who is being the reply guy or is saying the sexist shit or is even saying something that he doesn't realize is sexist. 
Um, and, you know, and I'm also a cisgendered white woman on the internet. And that means that I have a lot of privilege and that there are a lot of things that I don't completely understand. And I like, I, I understand that I recognize that. Um, so let's talk about Wonder Woman 84, <laughs> a movie that has been quite surprisingly in my mind, very controversial, um, has kind of provoked a lot of different opinions, has provoked some like attacks on um, film critics for no apparent reason. Like the, this was one that absolutely boggled my mind. I don't wanna to get too much into it, but this has been a really divisive film and I did not expect it to be divisive. <laughs> what did you expect with this, Karen? Well, first of all, this was my most anticipated film of 2020. Yes, even over Top Gun Maverick. And I, so, I mean, I spent the whole year expecting this movie to be amazing, just like the first one. And I thought that the, the critics, like everybody was just going to fall in love with it as soon as they saw it. And then that first wave of reviews hit, they were all very positive. This is the movie that we need right now. This is great. It's amazing. And I was just like, yay, I'm so excited. Patty Jenkins did it. And then the second wave of reviews hit and they were like the polar opposite and I just went wait what's going on and I got a text message from a friend who said Wonder Woman's not good and I was just like you're lying no I'm not lying I'm like oh my gosh what's going on here so um yeah it was really weird so when I went into it when I sat down on Christmas day to watch the movie um I was I was a little bit nervous going into it because of the backlash, the the vitriol that had already started. It was such a weird, I don't know, it was such a weird experience. And then I watched the movie and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why people hate this. I mean, it's not perfect. And I wouldn't even say it's as good as the first movie, but it's not this like monstrous, terrible, like evil thing that people are making it out to be. And I'm just Oh, I'm yeah. tired. <laughs> exactly. Well, but that's that's the thing. So yeah, I kind of had the same experience that you did. The the initial reviews are just like, oh, it sounds like it's good, right? And I admittedly, I loved the first one, and I was like, okay, this is a sequel, you know, 1980s, all right, sure, whatever. I don't really care that much, but this this will be fun. And that that was what surprised me was the vitriol. Yeah. Um. And it was. And now I will say that, you know, and there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not this is gendered. And I think that we're going to get into that a little bit. There were plenty of women who did not like this movie and they had very legitimate reasons for not liking it. And they, they explained them in their reviews or in their analyses. And even though I might not necessarily agree with them, I get it, right? The vitriol that I saw particularly, there was this gleeful hate coming particularly from male critics yeah like and when i say gleeful hate i mean like actively enjoying right people just stomping on the film mm -hmm. um basically tweet you know and i admit that i did this with joker but it was mostly because i knew that it was gonna piss off uh the anti-ghostbusters people like posting the uh, uh the rotten tomatoes score as it went down and like talk about, oh, well, look what happened, Patty Jenks. There, there's this anger that was coming through that honestly, at a certain point in the proceedings, this was coming from some men that I respect as critics that I think are good writers I didn't expect this from. Yeah. Um, and 
and the nastiness was began to get really troubling to me. And so I guess I want to talk a little bit about whether or not this this there is a gendered component to the reaction to this film. Um, that did you perceive the same thing? And obviously some of this is anecdotal because I follow certain people on Twitter. I don't follow other people, things mm -hmm. like that. But that was just my experience of the, the critical reaction to it. I think like with most things, when we talk about things like the male gaze and the female gaze, and we talk about, um, I don't know, when we just, a lot of different topics within criticism that we've discussed here on the podcast, I think that, uh, what I've seen here is sure men and women both seem to dislike this movie and also like this movie some of the loudest uh, voices I've heard in favor of it have come from men too so it's it's interesting but it's like we've talked about before with other topics the the way men and women are talking about the things that they didn't like about this they're talking about it very differently and like what you were just saying about this almost glee from men that are panning it it's like it's like they were rooting for patty like oh see we we knew a woman couldn't direct two great movies in a row it's that's kind of i don't i haven't come across anybody who specifically overtly said that but that's been sort of the impression that i've gotten is that they were waiting for her to fail because the first movie was so good and she couldn't possibly pull it off twice and that's just so gross and uh, it's frustrating but oh I, i'm sorry no so I, I was i was gonna just kind of build on what you were saying there i do i do think that you're right that they're waiting for they there there's definitely a group of male critics and there are some of them are men who consider themselves to be allies as well yeah um who it feels like they have been waiting for a female director to make an imperfect film and we've talked about this issue before where female directors female writers um, female-driven films generally have to be perfect otherwise they're the worst thing ever like that's the way that that women are particularly approached and we're talking about primarily white women too we're not even talking about the issue of race coming into mm -hmm. all of that but um so i yeah i got this impression that that they were angry in some way that the first wonder woman and the first Wonder Woman did get some nasty reactions as well, particularly from men, but it was largely positive, right? Yeah. Um, and so I do feel like they were waiting for this film to be to be imperfect, to not be as good. Mm -hmm. And they kind of have indulged and it's misogyny. Like at the at the end of the day, it's it's low key misogyny, but it's misogyny all the same. Yeah. And some of the guys that I was seeing doing this, I was like, I even said to one of them, I was like, dude, you've spent the past three days talking about how violently you hate this film. Like, and having seen the film, this is not a film to hate violently. Like you can dislike it or, you know, have issues with it or anything, but I don't know why you hate it so much. And that kind of indicates to me that you're doing that there's something else going on here that isn't a, really about the quality of the film. So, so I, I don't know, I, I do think that there is this gendered component um, to the way the critics have reacted to it and to some of the things that have been said, but there's also this general, this general attitude that it, because it's imperfect, it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, and we see that a lot 
on film Twitter in particular. It's this weird binary. Something's either the best or the worst. There's no in between. We can't have something that's just good or something that's just okay. <laughs> it's like it, we just are operating in these extremes and it's really it's it's mind-boggling. And that's the thing. I'm watching this and and sure, I think that there are some issues with it and I think that uh some of the especially some of like the political stuff when you look back on the context of the 80s some of it is just like "Mm, that maybe could have been explored in a little bit healthier way but ultimately I feel like this is such a harmless movie because it's about Diana Prince Wonder Woman who is she's just about love and and helping people in healthy positive ways and there there's just such, it's such a good message for right now it's what we need and so for people to act like this movie is somehow causing harm to them because it's not perfect is just such a weird a weird takeaway for me yeah. i don't know yeah very much so um so let's uh let's start with some questions because we did get a couple of questions about this and this would be kind of a good jumping off point for some of this conversation um so one the first question that we got was from paula at pause pause it's pa um and she has thoughts on the trope of having too much for power in regards to wishes um and do you think if you can make a wish would you make one regardless of the consequences so let's start with that the first part of that question which is the 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 basic conceit of this film which is that they there has been this discovery of this stone right that essentially acts as a monkey paw where you make a wish for something you you have one wish you can make a wish for something on this stone and you get it but there are consequences to getting it right you lose something at the same time Mm -hmm. by the way we should probably mention that we're going to spoil this movie a lot so (laughs) if you haven't watched it yet you might want to not listen anymore (laughs) yeah we're just this is all spoilers all the time you know yeah uh yeah so so this is a pretty common trope right this is the monkey paw trope yes which Um, they mention multiple times in the movie (laughs) yeah and i feel like again some critics didn't hear it or weren't paying attention because they're like okay this is literally like a a known story don't you know the like you make a wish and you get what you want but it's not really what you want it's there are consequences to it yeah exactly um and it is something that's been used in a lot of movies a lot of literature it's a yeah it's a very common um concept trope idea and i mean i'm not sure exactly how to answer the question well it's really about um so there's the the entire conceit is that all of the characters all of the main characters other than steve who is a wish mm-hmm. um yes he is and i think we should talk about him in a minute but uh <laughs> um so all of them make a wish on this uh on this stone and they get what they wish for right now we do have to say that both diana and barbara when they make their wishes they don't know that it's actually going to come true so you got to give them a little bit of leeway there where it's just like oh i did not know that that was going to be a thing okay (laughs) but one of the things that i really liked about this is that all of the wishes all the things that that the the characters desire are really understandable 
right? So Diana wishes she wants Steve back. That's what she's wishing for. And we'll talk about that more in depth in a minute too. Yeah, and and so she's this this is the man that she loves. This is someone that she lost that she wants back. Um, that she's kind of been longing for for a very long time. And so the wish is completely, it's a legitimate one. It's like, I understand why she wants that. Um, not least because he's Chris Pine. Uh, Barbara, Barbara wishes to be more like Diana. So she's really, all she's really wishing for is to have the confidence and the capabilities and the beauty and the, you know, the, the things that Diana has. And again, this is very, this seems very natural. This is a woman who has made a friend that she really admires, who like seems to be so, so wonderful and so perfect. And she wants to be more like her, understandable. Even Maxwell Lord, you're like, I understand why he wants what he wants. And it's twisted ultimately, and it's dangerous, but he wants to make good so badly. He wants to make his son proud of him. Um, and that's what what's at the base of all of this. And then he becomes sort of mad with power and things begin, you know, he's almost completely stripped of, of his humanity as a result. But all of these wishes are very, real ones. They're very human. And I kind of wonder whether some of the reaction to that is the fact that we've got a superhero who makes a bad decision. She is, she, she's making a mistake by longing for Steve. She's making a mistake by um, wishing for him and keeping him when she does get him. And she kind of knows that, but we don't want her to be weak in any sense. We don't want her to have those desires. And, and it's ultimately a very selfish thing that she does. She wants this, this one man back and she doesn't want to give him up when she gets him back. Understandable, also somewhat selfish. Uh, and ultimately, you know, something that she has to deal with. But it, what I really liked was that it was, it was this very human reaction to being told you can have anything that you want. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's Diana's, well, so Diana does just make this wish that is just kind of in passing. She's, she doesn't, she's just thinking like, oh, if I could really make a wish, this is what I would wish for. And then it happens and she doesn't realize that there's a trade-off right away. Um, she doesn't realize that her powers are going to be taken away from her as a result um until she starts to actually notice that things are not uh that she's not as strong like when she's trying to bust the lock um and some other things then she starts to realize like oh wait <laughs> there's more to this but by that point she and steve have already gotten to spend some time together and she feels like she got what she wanted and it's interesting because it reminded me this movie watching this movie reminded me so much of superman 2 the richard donner one from the like 1980 81 mm -hmm. um which in that movie superman clark kent decides that he wants to be mortal to be with lois and he gives up his powers to be with her and obviously that doesn't go well and then he ends up needing them back and and has to again make a trade-off and it's a little bit different because he doesn't have to like let lois be dead but um but just thematically it's very similar and and so i think that 
for Diana, who has longed for Steve, she would give up her powers uh, to be with him forever. Of course, she can't because the world needs her as Wonder Woman. But um, I just think it's such an interesting thing. Like sometimes we do have those moments in life. And, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about this movie. And I think that it's something that some people have missed is just that sometimes even superheroes have very human moments and need to be a little selfish and considering how much of their lives is, are devoted to complete selflessness it makes sense that once in a while i'd be like you know what i'm gonna take something for myself and that's what diana does here yeah and she even makes that very explicit at one point she says like why don't why can't i have anything why can't i this is the one thing that i want yeah and i can't have it and and that's yeah again it's selfish and it's also human and and it's natural and it is kind of like yeah why can't she <laughs> like um and so yeah it it makes sense because you can't bring people back from the dead that's a bad idea it never works like don't do it uh exactly but so and and then the the second problem that has been oft discussed uh, in relationship to this film is the issue of consent and particularly male consent. So when Steve returns, he returns in the body of another man. Um, it's not entirely clear how this all worked. Like, where did the guy go? <laughs> well, I mean, when you say not entirely clear, it's not explained at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just like, so is like, he just gone? Is he just vanished or, or what? Now, in some ways, I think that this is intended and, and they definitely should have explored it more. I think that some of this is intended as, okay, this is one of the consequences of making this kind of wish. So she gets Steve back, but in doing so, she actually like destroys or, or imprisons or something happens to a, a totally innocent guy. Uh, yeah and i think this is part of where the selfishness comes in for her because there's there's a self-care aspect she wants she wants to be with her love and is that really selfish or is that taking care of herself and her own personal needs the selfishness to me comes in by not questioning it and yeah. not wondering like what did i do to this other guy yeah and, and i do wish that the film had explored that more and i think that they missed a beat in doing that though at the same time i kind of understand why they didn't given that it's already a two and a half hour film mm -hmm. um but i i wish that there had been that they had addressed that and and a number of people have talked about this issue of consent that basically they're using this man's body right so i i think that this is one of the most legitimate criticisms of the film and the way that the film um represents things partially because we tend to to not talk about male consent as much. And uh, and this has been a subject that has come up a couple of times recently. I know the, that this came up and, and it also comes up in um, uh, the new Netflix series, Bridgerton, where, you know, it's there's almost this assumption that men, that when, when men have sex with women, they always consent to sex, which isn't true. Uh, and so I, I completely get that criticism of it. And I do wish that the film had gone into it more. Although in the back of all of this, I think that there is a, a, um, a critique of this as being one of the consequences of making this kind of wish. And as Diana's aunt tells her at the beginning of the film, you cheated, you're cheating. Mm -hmm. And she is cheating. She wants Steve back and she's cheating another person out of his life. Um, and she's cheating herself and she's cheating him. And it's ultimately something that she has to deal with. 
Yeah, I wish that there had been at least something to indicate who this guy was, why Steve ended up in his body. Um, when I was watching it the second time, I was looking a little bit more closely around her and I thought, oh, maybe he's the guy that hails the cab or something. And I don't think he was. So it's like, I don't know where this guy came from. And it would have made a little bit more sense to me if he was someone that she had at some point interacted with before then like okay he's kind of in her consciousness while she's making her wish or something um it would have made a little bit more sense but i think with this conversation about consent which is an important topic i'm not disagreeing with you but i think the way that people have been talking about it in terms of wonder woman is odd because it's it's overlooking the fact that steve is inhabiting this body it's his body uh essentially once he once he comes back and it's just like every body swap movie you know i mean i don't i didn't hear people complaining about this i mentioned this this comparison to you i didn't hear people complaining in the movie freaky which is still playing in some theaters and it's a very funny horror movie by the same guy that did the happy death day movies and in that Vince Vaughn plays this serial killer who swaps bodies with a teenage girl. And when he wakes up in the morning as the teenage girl, the first thing he does when he's looking in the mirror is grab her boobs. <laughs> so it's like, okay, why didn't anybody care about that? <laughs> but we're making a big deal about Steve and Diana and this random third person who may be dead. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, th I think that the film handled it in very clunky ways. Yes. You're pointing out, and it needed to be, it needed to explain itself a little bit more. Um, but I, I agree, this is, whenever we have a body swap story, this is always gonna be an issue, particularly, um, yeah, if, if you're talking about gender, you're talking about sex. I think that the reason why people latched onto this is because it's obvious that Steve and Diana have sex. Yeah. Um, and that he is, he's doing this in the body of another man. Mm -hmm. And so then that gets into thorny issues of the, obviously the other man cannot consent to it, but as you're pointing out, it's Steve's body now, you know, it's, it's problematic the way he got there, but it does belong to him at the moment. Um, yeah. So it's not like there is a second person in there at the same time. Exactly. Who is unable to consent to, to what's happening. Um, so, and yeah. I personally think that this is going to be explored again at some point because like we know there's going to be a third movie now and I guess Patty Jenkins is signed on to direct it so that's like totally unheard of for a woman to get to direct a trilogy um, but also there's now talk about DC's future direction is going to include multiverses and stuff there was a line when Steve and Diana are first reunited and he's talking about how um he remembered being in the plane and then he was just not there anymore and he didn't know where he was but he was somewhere and so it's like the indication you're it sounds like okay well that's some version of an afterlife but maybe it wasn't maybe he was in another dimension maybe he's actually alive and they'll bring him back in the third movie again oh for god's sake <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't argue with seeing Chris Pine all the time, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Well, so uh, let's keep on talking about Steve and, and yes, Steve's let's. return and, and everything. So uh, the second question that we had was um, from Shakita at Serena6783. How long did Diana actually know Steve in the past? Could not have been more than a week or two, right? And I think that that's probably accurate. Uh, I don't remember the full timeline of the original film, but yeah, they, they don't know each other for a very long time. Uh, I think that, you know, what might be in back of this question is, you know, well, well is she, does she, she really pining away for him for 70 years? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I agree that that's one of the questions that you kind of ask in watching this film that I was like, oh man, she's obsessed with him, right? She's spending has and, and you do kind of go like has she spent 70 years like just not dating anybody is that what this is or is this just like a a moment for her that she's remembering him for some reason i think that there are a lot of different reasons why steve is such a focal point um and and one of them and i do think that we need to think about you know if we're going to think about the timeline of everything so he is the first man that she meets ever ever right <laughs> after not really knowing what men are, not really, and definitely not thinking that they're great, right? Mm -hmm. She meets him and as we talked about, where we talked about the original film, he's like an actually nice guy. Yep. He listens to her, he respects her, he realizes how powerful she is and he has is not embarrassed by that at all. Um, he cares about her, he treats her as an equal, all of these things. And so her first experience with men generally is this guy who in many ways is just the, is a perfect man in a lot of ways. Um, and she never gets to have a long enough relationship with him to the point where, you know, he's not always gonna be so perfect, obviously, because he's human. Um, but so she loses him at this point, you know, they've slept together one time, um, this has been her first experience in the world of, of men, in the world of humanity. This has been a, her first experience with a man. And he kind of represents to her, I think, the best of humanity. And she loses that. Fast forward 70 years, and I think that the film does this very deliberately. All of the men around her hit on her and patronize her at the same time they she's a beautiful woman you know they they crowd around her they try to talk to her they treat her like she is a second-class citizen um they're constantly annoying her etc and i and i don't think that this is her first experience with that in the 1980s but i have a feeling that this has been her primary experience of men across the past 70 years uh and i think that that's very important to look at that her first experience of men is Steve and he seems to be the best of what a man is and what a man should be and a lot of the men that she meets aren't that great exactly. so her attachment to him makes sense within that context exactly exactly 100% co-sign on all of that and I will only add that she for Diana who is we're not sure if she's immortal or just very, very, you know, will have a very, very long life. Um, but time doesn't pass the same way for her. You know, I mean, she's lived through a lot of things over 70 years since we last saw her. And, or I guess it'd be, I don't know, would it be 70 years? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I can't do math. Anyway, um, but time 
time passes differently for her. So it's, it, it makes sense to me that she would continue to have this soft spot, this feeling, this, you know, this attachment to this person from a long time ago. And it wouldn't necessarily feel like the same amount of time as that would feel for us. And then on top of that, not only like you pointed out that not only is she constantly surrounded by these just gross men who want to possess her, really, they want to win her as a prize. Uh, she spends that time thinking about the the best things about him because that was all she experienced. And so over the course of many decades, when you just think about all the good things about a person, naturally, you're just going to more and more idealize them as well. So it makes total sense to me that even after only a week or two, or maybe three of knowing this guy, that when you spend 70 years pining for him, and I, no pun intended, um, it makes total sense to me that she would have this idealized version in her head and that no one else would match up to that. No one else would be good enough. And it's not just because of the fact that she doesn't have any other options, um, but nothing can match up to what exists in her, in her mind. Yeah. And, and I absolutely believe that she is probably at a certain point and probably directly after she loses him, she closes herself off um, from probably from other legitimately nice people and legitimately yeah. nice men uh because she has lost this 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 love but in some way i think that we do have to remember that she her experience is not a normal experience growing up in the normal human world she exactly. grew up in a, a land of women right right so her she's not jaded in one sense but in the other sense there's a lot of illusions that she's going to lose very quickly as an adult woman Mm -hmm. um there's also the fact that and we see you know the first look at her apartment that she's living in in washington dc she's got uh steve's watch she has these photos and if you look closely at the photos it's the people that were in that group that she fought with in world war one so you've got charlie and the chief and samir um you've got these guys etta and so you see these, these pictures, she's with them. And then slowly you get to the last photo is her and an elderly Etta, who presumably was the last one left. And then there's a picture of just Diana at Trevor Ranch by herself. And so it's like, she made connections with people and had to lose them over the course yeah. of years. And it makes sense that she wouldn't want to put herself in that situation because she is not she doesn't have a normal lifespan and no matter who she ends up with or who she surrounds herself with she's going to constantly be happy to say goodbye to people yeah I, I think that that's a really good point she's not her her existence is very different from everybody else's and uh and and i think that this then connects to something else that i wanted to talk about was just the initial connection between diana and barbara uh, which I think is part of what drives the, the first half of the film, or so it's definitely the first 45 minutes, um, is there, and, and again, this is something that has been criticized a lot, but I'm not entirely certain why. Um, so yeah, you get the sort of trope of, oh, the kind of geeky girl with glasses and curly hair and everything, uh -huh. <laughs> who then becomes 
gorgeous well first of all Kristen Wiig is hot with the glasses and the curly hair I don't even know why <laughs> like she doesn't need to lose them in order to be hot but she definitely she as her, her character figures feels that she does it's the um, confidence like once she loses yeah. them she's able to stand up a little straighter she's able to comfortably walk in heels and she feels better which is it's funny because I don't think she I don't think the movie explores it but it's like that's the real reason that people are drawn to her she has diana's confidence yeah and that and that's part of what she's wishing for she wants to be more like diana right she wants Mm -hmm. to and it isn't just oh i want to i want to look like her i want to be beautiful like her anything like that it's more like like you said i want to have her confidence i want to have her strength and and i think that in some ways she's all of us to a certain degree i mean you know you look i think one of the reasons why wonder woman is so uh, popular particularly among women is that we look at her we go like oh my god she's beautiful she's intelligent she's strong she's like she has all of these powers like you kind of want that and so barbara in some ways is, is sort of the st- a stand-in for the female audience um but i i was really interested in the way that they had their initial introduction and diana's kind of standoffish doesn't really want to have a conversation Barbara is sort of almost fawning over her and it, it troubles her a little bit, but I think that it's just more, I don't think that she's really rejecting her. She's just like, I don't want to get close to people. Yep. But then she does. And in fact, she's the one that proposes them going out for an early dinner together. And they begin to make friends and they have this, this great conversation. Um, and and Barbara becomes kind of possessive of her, right? So when Steve shows up, she's like, oh, hello, old friend, I'm the new friend. <laughs> you know, that, and that kind of thing. But there, there is that, like, she wants to be Diana's friend. And, and you get the impression that Diana wants to be her friend. There's also, I th- and I think we should talk about it, there's also sexual tension going on there. Um, oh, yeah. Hmm? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is. And... And that again is an interesting element that I wish that I wish that this film series would explore more because there's heavy indication that Diana is bisexual. Uh, And of course we dwell on the relationship with Steve Trevor, but her interaction with Barbara and the way in which they are beginning to become friends and they're getting closer to each other. And they're like talking about, you know, have you ever been in love and things like that. It's female friendship, but there's also, a, there's more of a sexual component to it. Um, and I didn't find that relationship to be particularly unbelievable. I know a number of people said that like, oh, Diana's just, you know, ignoring her, rejecting her. It's like, no, I don't think that she is at all. They're sort of beginning to build this friendship. And then things go all pear-shaped because Steve comes back and and she's having to deal with all of these other things. So. I, I found Barbara's character really fascinating. Uh, and I would have to watch the film a couple more times to really pinpoint why, but um, I think that she is a far more nuanced individual than a lot of the reviews have given her credit for. Yeah, I feel like people look at the trope of how she's first introduced and just kind of stop paying attention in a way. Like they don't, they don't explore that character any further as they're watching the movie and i think that's unfortunate because i agree with you i think that there is a lot of depth there a lot of layers that um we don't this isn't merely like a a makeover type of journey like trope where 
oh she has a makeover and suddenly she's popular and we don't need to know anything else about her like she you watch her go from idolizing in a way diana to becoming the start of friends with diana to then getting relegated to the side and so ultimately she gets very mad and very frustrated because she she's also watching diana lose her power she doesn't know what's happening because she doesn't know who diana really is but she watches diana become not the person that she thought and decides well i don't even want to be her i don't want to be like anybody else i want to be my own version of me and that's when she fully becomes cheetah that doesn't work out so well but um but it's when she moves like when because of the time that she spent being sort of like diana and and getting to see a totally different side of diana that further that makes her want to become something even else something different and i think that it's so much more interesting than we've seen in other versions of this type of of story where uh the person starts to become the other person or, or become like them and that's just kind of where it stops and for barbara to go just a little bit further i think is really interesting and i like that and i i I like the way that she ends up too, because then she loses that power, not totally by her own choice, but it's interesting because I, I hope that we will see her again because I'd like to see some more explore, exploration of kind of the aftermath of what she's been through and what she's done to herself. Well, I have a feeling that she's going to come back. I mean, they, they sort of set that up with the last shot of her. Mm -hmm. Um well, and the, the other thing that I think a number of people have, have kind of pinpointed as, as the moment that she, that she really begins to turn, as it were. Um, but I think that it's an interesting moment, and I feel like some people have misread it. So early on in the film, she a, a drunk man tries to assault her in the park. And she's like shouting no, she's like trying to push him off, but she, she's having real difficulty kind of just pushing him away. And Diana saves her. Right. And says like, oh, you've got to use his his strength against him. Right. And then the same man later on, she's again, she's going for a run and the same man um, recognizes her and hits on her again. And she is already had she has these powers already and she knows that she does. Uh, and she she beats the shit out of him, basically. <laughs> And one of my favorite moments during that, and it was, it is a satisfying scene. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, there, one of my favorite moments is that she says no three times, but she says it differently each time. And that it, it's, it's a really interesting scene. And a number of people have been like, well, this is where she becomes, you know, dark and evil. It's like, no, this is where they, the, the world has been stomping on her for a very long time. And this man has kind of become representative of that. And finally, she gets to fight back. And she has the strength in order to fight back, which she didn't feel she had before, even though like Diana could have taught her some self-defense moves probably uh, long before she had powers. But I don't think that that's the moment that Barbara becomes evil or anything like that. And I don't think that that's the way that the film treats it. It's that you keep on stomping on women you keep on treating women like this you keep on kind of going like well she deserved it or well she shouldn't have been running that late at night in the dark etc um 
and eventually the women are going to fight back right and it might not it might not look the way that you want it to yeah. Um, so I really like, I actually really liked that scene and I liked the way that Kristen Wiig played it and I liked the way that the film treated it, which is that she commits this act of violence, but it's this final straw almost of like, I'm fucking done with this and you understand why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it would have been different if she'd been running along, just saw the guy and then attacked him for what had happened previously, which he had in a way already kind of paid for when Diana knocked him across the park. Um, it would have been different if she had just like gone and and acted out against him without him doing anything in that moment, you know, um, but she doesn't. She stops because he is once again trying to hit on her and and be all creepy and gross and who knows what he would have done if uh she wasn't by that point who she was and um to me yeah i agree with you it's not about her turning to evil it's about her becoming like taking control of herself like really understanding how powerful she has become Mm -hmm. and i think that really matters i don't think her turn happens until a bit later when she really uh joins forces with max and decides that diana is an enemy that's when she becomes evil yeah and even then again you understand why she wants to defend max because she is losing her humanity as a result of this this wish that she has made and, yeah, and, and I say evil, I don't really even mean evil. I think she's definitely becomes like the villain in that. But even then, I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I think, I think that's the problem. And you've pointed this out too. I think that's the problem people have with this movie is like, is really anybody in this actually evil? Yeah. And I think people struggle with the fact that the answer is no. Yeah. And, and that, that's what I was kind of trying to say earlier on when we were talking about like how how all of the wishes are human wishes Mm -hmm. barbara and barbara defending maxwell lord what she she's not really defending him as a person she's defending the new power that she has and that she's afraid i think i think she's quite frightened that without it she's not going to be anything anymore she's going to have to go back to being ignored to being assaulted to being victimized and she doesn't want to and so she she's been kind of she's fallen into a trap that a lot of women experience um, of, you know, it, and it's one that I've talked about before, you either get to be the victim or the monster. Mm-hmm. And when you are given, when that's the only choice that society is willing to give you, then the choice, you know, am I going to be a victim? Am I going to be a monster? I'd much rather be the monster. Um, and that's ultimately what Barbara chooses. She doesn't recognize that Diana in some ways actually represents a third choice which is you can be, you can choose to not fall into that game and you have the opportunity to not fall into that. But she doesn't recognize that. And it's partially because of the way that she has been treated her entire life, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we talk about Max? Let's talk about Max because he is a fascinating character as well. I uh, love him so much. And not just because <laughs> of how much I love Pedro Pascal, which is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first of all, Pedro Pascal, like, is obviously having a great time. He's playing sort of a half Donald Trump, but not really. Is like, 
I love that he said that his inspiration for playing this character and kind of what he was trying to channel was Nicolas Cage. Because I was just like, yes, I he nails that. it. Totally. I see, that. I see that. It's almost Nicolas Cage as a televangelist. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, what I really liked is that he, he gives him a great deal of humanity and you see the, uh, you see what's underneath all of the kind of grandstanding and the flashiness is that he's a failure and he knows that he's a failure and he desperately doesn't want to be one, not just because he, he wants to earn money and things like that, but because he want, he doesn't want to make his son ashamed of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he believes that the only way he can do that is by, you know, all is basically bargaining with the devil. Like that's essentially what he does. Um, but he, he's a great character because again, he's going about things the wrong way, obviously. I love the way we first meet him because it's, it goes from this opening scene of Diana competing in this sort of version of the Olympics and having that moment where she, doesn't get to win because she was trying to cheat and her aunt is like nope that's not the way we do it and she says no hero is born in lies and so it goes from there to this mall and uh we see a bank of tvs and this commercial this like very 1980s like have it all live your best life commercial that max lord is doing and he's promising all sorts of wealth and 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 uh, everything you want without having to work for it. He specifically says, "Get anything you want and not, and don't you don't have to work for it." That is such a perfect transition, and I love that Patty Jenkins did that and introduced us to Max Lord in that way because I think it's it's such a such a stark contrast and really lets you know who Max Lord is not that he really is this flashy guy but that's who he's trying to present to the world so when you actually meet him like not on the tv uh you get to already see okay he's one of those like just super fake people who is just trying to basically rip people off and i i just think it's it's such a brilliant way to introduce the character and when we see the glimpses of his life later like at the end when um when we're getting to see those flashbacks it becomes clear the reason that he wants his son to look up to him is because he didn't have a father he could look up to and he has tried to go about everything in the completely wrong way his entire life but it makes sense and you know he came from a broken home with an abusive family and he was really tormented in school and it's like yeah and that's it's sort of the same thing that barbara goes through it's like you push people hard enough and long enough and i'm not defending what those two ultimately do but it's like when you when people keep getting knocked around like you say you know you you keep being the victim or you become the monster and both of them choose to be the monster in those moments when Mm -hmm. they have to make that choice yeah their their life experiences don't don't excuse them but they do explain them yeah um and and it it is this twistedness so lord's lord's desperation to not be a failure especially in the eyes of his son gets twisted to the point that his desires you know his his desire is a uh is a good one in a lot of ways he doesn't want to be a failure okay that makes sense right but 
he he almost destroys the world as a result, right? Barbara's desire is to be more like this woman that she admires and that gets twisted around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought that again, it, it was, it, it's a fascinating film because there isn't a villain. There, there are human beings who make really bad decisions and are well on their way to being villains, but you understand them. Uh, and, I and I think, think that's, that's why, important. sorry. No, go on. And I think that's why this movie is actually so well done and so good is because of the fact that it doesn't doesn't totally rely on typical comic book movie tropes where you have a very clear villain who has to be defeated in the end. Um, and usually by defeated, we mean either they get killed or they get arrested and hauled off to jail. And neither of those things happen for Barbara or for Max and I think people struggle with that in fact I saw a conversation happening last night that I was just like this is it's weird that people just are upset that there seem to be no consequences and it's like well we don't know what the consequences are we didn't see the consequences but that doesn't mean that there aren't any because Diana is not about that she just wanted to stop the threat and help people and part of that part of part of what makes diana so powerful is her amazing empathy yeah and so for her she was able to use that empathy that's not what stopped barbara but that is what stopped max and yeah yeah, and i think that for her having to give up having to make the choice to give up steve again was ultimately what helped her have that the amount of empathy she needed to stop Max and help him see what he was doing. Yeah, it, it's that it's that sense of sacrifice mm-hmm. um, that she's like, I have to sacrifice this because for for the greater good, for the good of the rest of the world, and so do you. You have to let this go. You have to renounce what you think you want in order to really get what you need, kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. um yeah and and I really liked that and I didn't feel that we needed to see you know Lord being punished or anything like that I think that he's been punished in a lot of ways simply by the experience of this kind of power that it's it's completely it's almost destroyed him yeah and it almost destroys everything that he loves yeah um it's interesting too because like I think this is something that doesn't get explored at all in the film but talking about kind of what happens to people as a result of this once he renounced his wish that basically would have undone everybody's wish I know that technically they all have to renounce their wishes around the world but it's like his wish was to become the dreamstone and he did so he's the one granting the wishes so once he doesn't have that ability once he gives that up it's like does that just undo everything i'm not clear on how that how that yeah, worked there, there's some explanation where i think that that at one point she says i'm not talking to you i'm talking to everyone yeah and so she's trying to say to them you have to take back your wish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that there's that, although there is some indication that if you destroy the Dreamstone, it will, I think that that was what the explanation was that uh, if every, either everyone renounces their wish. So everyone who makes a wish, wish renounces it and, and it undoes it. Yeah. Or you have to destroy the Dreamstone, which would be killing Max. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
she's not about to do that because Wonder Woman does not kill people um, if she can keep from it. People might accidentally die, but <laughs> yeah. she does not kill anyone. Um, and so that's why she's talking to the world. She doesn't want to kill Max. She wants to help him. And she wants to help the world like heal itself, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, I love how like in that big moment at the end when she's she's trying to stop him, uh, he's even he's still trying to promise all these things. And he's just like, you could have kept your pilot and your powers. I just you just need to join me. And uh, he's still making these promises, even though he's watching like he's about to lose everything and i just i, I don't know I, I find him so fascinating and diana by that point she's not she's not considering it anymore like she already knows no this isn't the way she understands now her aunt's lesson that yeah. uh that she learned in the beginning and i think it's it's so so great um one thing that i did find uh one of the conversations i saw last night uh there was a question that i thought was uh kind of an interesting question it was um let me see where did i put it oh yeah here it is so the guy says the real question we should focus on is why if we're supposed to believe that lord loves his son more than anything the stone didn't take his son's health as the thing he valued most to me it's pretty clear that that's not what he valued most <laughs> yeah yeah i think that i think that at the end that at the end he decides that his son is what he values most he's he decides that he will not he will not destroy everything um in order to make his son proud or anything like that like that's the choice that he makes mm -hmm. but he does value himself more <laughs> yeah he does and he is actually losing his own health as he's granting wishes and things like it's taking a lot from yeah. him he's losing like his eyes at one point his the blood vessels are burst um he's clearly like going crazy like he's losing himself and his own humanity and his own health and that yeah i think that it's pretty clear that that's that's what's going on there are moments where it's like you know the assistant comes in and says oh you have your son tonight and he's like ah again why is it my turn again and he realizes his son is right outside and can hear mm -hmm. what he's saying and yeah then it's like oh i've just screwed up but that's because his son isn't the most important thing to him right then he has to yeah he has to get to that point of, of thinking that he's lost him to or worrying that he's lost him to realize that is what he actually values most yeah yeah exactly the, that uh, also my impression was that pretty much everyone who makes a wish loses something personal like something uh, uh, unique to them as an individual so diana lose, yeah. begins losing her powers barbara loses her humanity etc so it doesn't seem like at least and, and again and this might be a, this is probably a failure of the film for not really providing enough exposition about the stone itself um but my impression was that it it's more taking away something from you that it's not necessarily the thing that you value most it's just the it's something that you value mm -hmm. and that you are now going to lose and it's not really predictable what that thing is going to be it's kind of it's the the evil of the stone essentially right and also once max becomes it's it's interesting i think that it's 
a little bit explored not with diana but when max is the dreamstone essentially and he's talking to her at the end and he he basically the indication is and he might even specifically say it um that he's the one that gets to decide what he's taking from people like when he goes to egypt and give uh gives the guy back his ancestral land and says okay now i'm taking your oil like yeah it's he gets to decide what he keeps as he's granting wishes yeah which means which also means that the stone itself at when it was just a stone makes mm-hmm. that decision as well exactly yeah it's i i think it is a much more interesting and nuanced film than a lot of people are giving it credit for yeah and i wonder i mean i don't know i wonder if <laughs> maybe it doesn't matter but i kind of feel like maybe part of the problem is everyone sitting at home watching it themselves and scrolling through twitter as they're watching it rather yeah. than sitting together in a theater having this experience and then chatting about it afterwards yeah i i i've mentioned this at one point i think because you kind of i kind of want to avoid accusing people of not paying attention but i was just like it some of the interpretations of this film read like it's someone who like kept on looking up in the middle of glancing at their phone yeah uh and i cannot tell you and i usually don't judge people for this but there were i'm beginning to <laughs> i cannot tell you how many people i saw who said that they were watching it while live tweeting it mm-hmm. for the first time right yeah and that makes me go like okay i've live tweeted films before usually they're films that i've that i've seen multiple times you can't pay attention to everything that is happening in a film and tweet at the same time it's no. just not possible um so yeah i feel like that there's a little bit of people like missing parts or missing exposition or missing kind of like explanations for things and then just deciding that it was bad yeah yeah that's exactly uh what it seems like i mean maybe maybe not but that's that's really what it seems like and i think it's really unfortunate because now people have this idea in their heads and it'll be interesting to see um if people come around on it after another viewing or two but i think part of the problem of everyone having access to it at home right now well not everyone but you know the people that do i i think there's so much else out there that people who've already decided after the first viewing that they didn't like it how likely are they to watch it again anytime soon and will they come around on it i don't know or will they just double down on like nope it's bad yep (laughs) it's really too bad i've watched it twice and i i liked it the first time i really liked it the second time i agree i agree like i i yeah I think it's a good film mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. that's the conclusion of all of this it's actually a much better film than what people are saying and yeah it do, it definitely has issues and I, I take that um I take that under consideration but I did enjoy the film like oh, I liked oh. watching it and can we talk about I didn't put this on the notes but can we talk about Linda Carter's cameo <laughs> yes yes even I kind of knew that it was coming but I was like that's awesome it and i like <laughs> i like the way that they dealt with it too like i like I, what they i like the character that she plays <laughs> she actually got a character that had a backstory and it was so cool and i was just like oh, is she gonna 
show up in the third movie i hope she does like i hope she and diana join forces in the third movie that'd be badass but uh, but even if she doesn't just knowing that she's out there in the world protecting people in her own way was really really cool and i love that it wasn't just a oh hey look it's linda carter cameo it was like no she actually played played someone who mattered to the story yep i agree yeah, she was fantastic. It was so it was so cool to see her. And I and I I knew that she was gonna be in the film, but then I'd like completely forgotten about it. Yeah. And so we got to the cameo and I was like, I, I initially was just like, oh, it's Wonder Woman. So like, oh my god, it's not Wonder Woman, it's Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh man, cool. it made me so happy. I was obsessed with that show when I was a kid, and I'm so happy that it's on HBO Max. All four mm-hmm. seasons are there. I haven't started watching it again yet, but I'm really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, any final thoughts about Wonder Woman 84? Are we ready to close this out? Uh, My final thought is if you have not watched it and you've been listening to this podcast, uh, I don't know why, but uh, go watch the movie. And if you have watched it, regardless of how you felt about it, go watch it again. Yes, I agree with that. It is actually a lot of fun. At the very least, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's funny because I did hear some people complaining about like, well, why is it set in 1984 if there aren't these like massive 80s musical number, you know, record drops and stuff, needle drops. And I'm just like, you know, it's funny because I grew up in the 80s. I'm very much a child of the 80s. Didn't even notice that there weren't any (laughs) 80s songs in it. Some people were complaining about it. Yeah, you might actually be talking to someone of my generation who believes that (laughs) all of 80s soundtracks are just like, you know, Duran Duran and B-52s and... (laughs) Yeah, which... Madonna. I mean, mean, yeah, you you think that, but it's like, I think that it was set in the 80s because of the Cold War and the geopolitical elements, not because just because the 80s are awesome you know also the joy of stevie of seeing of seeing steve trevor wear a fanny pack oh my gosh yes who's i like i do enjoy (laughs) the fact that steve like loves the fanny pack like he's just like this is the best thing ever why Uh this is awesome (laughs) that she's like are you sure no i want this (laughs) this one particular thing i did see someone complain and so i went down a little bit of a rabbit hole i did see someone complain about the fact that he didn't know how to use an escalator and oh by 1918 he definitely would have seen an escalator before and it's like well but so i researched it and the first patent was filed in 1895 but they never built that one then there was another patent in 1896 they never built that one either it's like well yeah elevators exist escalators existed but that doesn't mean he would have used one yeah that's all i just had to say that all right. the fanny pack yes and i love i love he calls it like an american issue bag <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just love steve so much oh oh sorry now i'm on a steve like thing but um just when they break into the um air and space museum and take the jet yeah or when he, when he first sees the picture of or, no when yeah he sees the space shuttle and he's like what kind of jet is that and she's like oh wait there's something for you to see and she takes him to the museum and him getting to see that we have landed on the moon and we have a whole space program and just like he got teary-eyed and it was just so sweet and when he's behind the cockpit when he's in the cockpit of the plane and he's about to fly and he's like tearing up and it was just such genuine joy and it just Mm -hmm. makes me love steve so much more yeah 
He is a great character. He's a great character. And he is also played by the best Chris. So it's true. (laughs) It's true. There is no equal. Uh, So I think that that is going to close us out for this episode about Wonder Woman 1984. And of course, you can give us your opinion on Wonder Woman 1984. However, I am now at the point where I will not tolerate any bullshit anymore. Like, I'm just like, (laughs) you're, you're fucking idiot. So if you want to come to me and be like, actually, it sucks, just like, fuck you and just fuck off like why are you even here if you Uh, disagree with us on any of these points it's fine to tell us so but do so in a respectful way otherwise we will kindly tell you to fuck yeah also depending upon what mood i'm in it might not be kind true Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you can get in touch with us uh on twitter and instagram at citizen dame pod and of course we are very grateful for our patrons Um, who are just lovely people and continue to support us now into this new year. So we would like to thank especially Matt, Heather, Adriana, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much, guys. And we are rearranging um, the 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 levels uh, on our Patreon. So we are there are going to be some changes coming. We know that we've been promising that, but that is happening. We're just tired. Uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, we're on patreon.com slash citizen dame. You can also throw some money on our Ko-Fi account. That's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. Um, we are monitoring those and, and Ko-Fi is great because you could just throw us a couple of bucks and you don't have to make any commitment. We also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod, where you can buy masks and t-shirts and buttons and all sorts of fun stuff. You can also get in touch with us uh, via our email at citizendamepod at gmail.com. And of course, we have our website, citizendamepod.com, where we post reviews and Blu-ray reviews and essays about birds of prey that apparently some random dude on the internet doesn't believe even exists. Um, (laughs) I'm feeling a bit salty again today. Yes. Uh, uh, Yeah, that's our website. That's citizendamepod.com. And of course, you could get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for today. Thank you so much and happy 2021. Bye. seen this contest. Humble even the most seasoned warriors, Diana. I can do it. Just do your best. And remember, greatness is not what you think. Pace yourself and watch.